Well, this morning we're gonna uh, we're gonna continue with our series, "Thy Kingdom Come," and we're gonna wrap it up today with the eighth message, our final message. How many of you have enjoyed this series so far? Come on, man! I thought it's been a good one. You can always go back and listen to any of the, or watch any of the previous messages on our app. I would encourage you to download our OSC app. You can keep up with what's going on, and you can also listen to some previous messages. You can share it with your friends. Uh, you can do all kind of wonderful things with that app, so I would encourage you to do that. But over the last eight weeks, we've talked about kingdom priorities. That was message one. Then we got into kingdom government and kingdom unity. And then we got into that big old F word, forgiveness. Whew. Yeah, I know. Sometimes it feels like an F word, right? Then we got into kingdom marriage. And then last weekend, we got into kingdom gratitude. And we, 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 uh, we went into Thanksgiving with a message on your attitude. And how many of you had to get your, your attitude checked after last Sunday's message? Yeah, I had a Monday after last Sunday. And I had to check my attitude. And I'll be honest with you, I probably failed, but I got it right before the day was over with. Come on, somebody. You might wake up and fail, but before I lay my head on the pillow, I'm going to get it right. And, and so kingdom gratitude. And today, we're going to talk about the number one motivation for kingdom generosity. And the title of today's message is Kingdom Rich. Yeah, so before you turn off your attention, because we're talking about money, you need to check yourself about why it irritates you to talk about money. Some people come to church and they say, well, that's all they ever talk about is money. Had an old guy come one time. He came like maybe three times in a period of two, year, two years, and we do a tithe message every Sunday, right? Like a little, a little encouragement. And he walks away with this. This is what he walked away with. All y'all ever talk about is money. I'm like, so today we're going we're gonna to get into your finances but I'm going to get into your finances hopefully through your heart today. I want you to know something. I want to make this very clear on the front side. I'm not after your money. I've never been after your money. I don't need your money. I don't even want your money. God gives me my own money. What I do want is your heart. And what God wants is your heart. Amen? He wants your heart. I'm passionate about you being a blessed person. I'm passionate about your family being blessed. Not just in word, not just going around claiming that you're blessed, but to literally be blessed. And I'm, when I say blessed, I mean more than just your finances. You got to understand something. The, the longer you walk with Christ, the more you start to realize that finances is at like bottom level. Like finances is like the first step. Real blessing and real, to live a real blessed life is to, is to have blessed relationships, to have good health. Come on, somebody. To have a great marriage, to raise up great kids. That's a blessing. To be in a rich relationship with Jesus, that's a blessing. To have discovered freedom along the way from things that have bound you down, that's a blessing. Amen. It's way more than your finances. But finances are important. Your finances say a lot about you, as it does me. If you were to look at my checkbook, you would see where my treasure is. It used to be Walmart. 
I used to be so mad because I'd look at my checkbook and all it said was Walmart. And it was big numbers. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Come on, somebody. But to, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Wow. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, in other words, when they are good, when they do good, when they're rich in good deeds and they're generous and willing to share, in that way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy's a young pastor in a, in a city, and Paul's telling him, listen to me, Timothy, you need to command those who are rich in this present world. He says two things you need to command them to. Number one, you need to command them to not put their hope in their money. How many of you, how many of you work in the oil field? Good money, until it crashes. Is it certain? <laughs> the only thing certain about the oil field is it's uncertain. <laughs> Come on, somebody. It's had its ups and its downs and it's had its all arounds, right? We have to be careful to not put our hope in our money, our hope in our wealth, our hope in our riches. Our hope needs to be in God and it needs to remain in God. And then he said to command them, talking about those who are rich, to do good, to be rich in good deeds. In other words, people need to know you more about what you do good in the community than how much money you have. They need to be impressed by your good deeds and not your good toys. Come on, somebody. Command them to do good. He says two things you need to command them, to not put their hope in their wealth and then to command them to do good. And then in doing so, they will lay up for themselves treasures in the coming age. Paul uses two words here. He talks about the present world and he talks about the coming age. The present world is the time that we're living in right now. It's earth time. But there's a coming age, it's called heaven time. And I don't know if you realize this today, but you can store up treasures ahead of when you get there. Like you can make an investment for when you get there. Mm. Paul is clearly speaking to one people group in this text. He's saying to those who are rich, and some of you might have gone, well, that excludes me. <laughs> Let me correct that real quick. There's not a poor person in this church. The poorest person in this city is still wealthier than most of the people on the globe. On a global scale, we're all rich. Come on. You got a house to live in? You got some electricity? You got some air conditioning? Do you have a vehicle? I'm talking about even a bicycle. You're doing good. You're rich. Look at your name and say, you're rich. Told you. You would think, though, that those who are rich would not have an issue giving, right? Like, that would be a given. Like, like you have a lot, so you give a lot. Wouldn't you think that? I mean, like, you have a lot, so you would give a lot. You know what statistics say? Statistics show that the more you have, the less you give. And the less you have, the more generous you are. 
So statistically speaking, when we get wealthier, we get greedier. When we have less, we tend to be more generous. I'm not talking about amounts here. I'm talking about sacrifice. Because if you put two guys into, into the front of this pulpit right here and you say, okay, both of you give $100, this, that $100 is going to mean something totally different to each one of those guys. One of them, it's going to be a real sacrifice. Like he's giving going, <laughs> it's supposed to freeze this week. They're going to turn the lights off, but I won't give. And the other guy goes, ah, I guess I won't get that toy. You see it? It's not equal giving. It's, it's, it, it, it has to do with sacrifice. So why is it that we, when we have plenty, we seem to drift away from God? You ever notice that? Have you ever noticed that when things are going well, we don't lean on God like we normally do? Anybody know? Anybody recognize that? Like, man, if, if the bills are paid and the wife is happy and the dog's not sick, I don't need God. I don't pray as much. I don't study as much. I don't spend time with God as much. I don't bother him. Could, could that be because we have a poor understanding of why we are here? You do know you, you're not on this planet to make a check, build a house, retire one day and leave some money to your children. You do realize that that's not why you're here. Like, I don't know who fooled you along the way, but, but that's not why you're here. But if you look at where we give our energy and our effort and our time and our passion and everything that we have, what does it say? That's why we're here. If you look at what you worry about the most, you go, that's why we're here. Paul uses the term present age, and he uses the term coming age. What if... What we do here on, in present age was meant to reflect in the coming age. What if everything we do on the planet had a heavenly purpose? What if our intentions and our focus was not on this planet, but on the heavens, knowing that whatever we sow here will be reaped possibly in heaven? Come on, somebody. What if we change something in our mind that says, I'm not going to focus on being an earthly person. I'm going to focus on being a heavenly person. Because there's a life that is way better than this current life and you'll want to invest in that life more than in this life. That's, that's good stuff right there, y'all. You'll want to invest in the coming age more than you invest in the present age. Kingdom rich. So let me unpack this in two ways. I'm going to give you the why we should live this way, and I'm going to give you the how we can live this way this morning and I hope you walk out of here encouraged. I hope you walk out of here with a clear understanding. And I hope you walk out of here with a different purpose. So why should we live our lives this way? Number one, if you're taking notes, by the way, you can take notes on the app. If you've downloaded the app, the notes are on the app. Um, it's right there when you get on the home screen. <clears throat> Number one, because heaven, not earth, is my home. <laughs> 
Why should we live this way? Because this is not home. Come on, somebody, this is not home. This is just a temporary place. We're passing through, literally. And we think that 80 to 90 to 100 years is a long time. It is but a flash of light. It is but a blink compared to home. Home is forever. Jesus said in John 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There was more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus is preparing a place for us. Are you giving him something to do? Did you catch that? Like, are you, are you sending up enough investment into heaven that you're keeping Jesus busy with what you're sending ahead? Like, are you giving him enough to do? Is he having to expand your mansion? Come on. It's funny because every time the disciples came to Jesus with an earthly problem, he gave them an eternal solution. One of the best things I can say to you today is this, I know it's tough right now. But just hang on, we're just passing through. And this might not be the toughest we see it. But hang on, we're passing through. We're going to be home one day. I was talking to Cole this morning. He and I both have these special back muscles and spine and all this stuff. And, you know, anyway, uh, I said, hey, bro, the good news is we get a new back when we get to heaven. Come on, somebody. Amen. I get some new knees. I didn't decide if I want hair or not. <laughs> like, I've, I've come, anyway, I've just accepted the baldness. You stay bald, I'll stay bald. No, oh, you want to <laughs> sell out. Sell out. The real solution to your problem is not necessarily here on the earth, but it's, it's there in heaven. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Paul's making a contrast. Listen to what he says next. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Come on. You see how the world has acted, and there's a draw for us to act the same way, right? There's, there's this temptation for me to act out like the world's acting out. But Paul reminds us this morning, but we are citizens of heaven and not this earth. Like you've got a promotion. You got, you got moved up to the other side of the tracks. Like you're, you're doing better now. It's like you, you've... George and Wheezy's got nothing on you. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We have to refuse to let ourselves be attracted to this world. We should be looking forward to going home one day. 
We should be thinking about home every day. You know, one of the greatest deterrents to radical generosity is the illusion that earth is your home. You know what will keep you keeping on to your things? Is when you start to focus on the earth and what you have and what you don't have and what could potentially happen here on the earth, forgetting that you're a citizen of heaven now and God can drop stuff out of heaven any minute he wants to. Because when you think you're a citizen or you start to believe the lie that you belong to the earth, then you start to live with limitations which then starts you to walk in fear and start to hold on to things. I've never messed up with generosity. Let me show you, let me show it to you this way. Suppose for a moment that your home is in France, okay? Like your home's in France. You're like, well, I've never been to France. Don't, don't get technical on me. Just your home, just pretend, pretend for a minute that your home is in France. And you're working in the U.S. for 90 days. And you're staying in a hotel room. Now, are you going to take all of the money that you make while you're in the U.S. and bling out the hotel room that you're only staying in for 90 days? Or are you going to send it back home so when you get home, you'll have something there when you get there? So it is with us. We're only here for a little while. Let's not freak out and worry about why we're here. God's going to provide everything that we need. Amen? We're going home one day. Let's send the check home. Let's invest in heaven. Let's invest in eternity. It's the best investment we can make. Because our time here has an expiration date. And there'll be an end to it. So why should we live our lives this way? Number one, because heaven, not earth, is our home. Number two, because there is limited time and incredible opportunity. Listen, we can complain about this year all we want to, but, but I know one thing's true. There's been more opportunity for Christians this year than there ever has before. There's more ears open to the gospel than ever before. You think you're in fear? You think you're worried about some things? Think about the folks that don't know Jesus and don't have any hope. They're freaking the heck out. Right? They don't know what to do. That's why you're seeing panic all over this, this country right now because people don't know what to do. They have no hope. They worry literally about everything. We all have limited time, but only some of us have incredible opportunity. At OSC, we realize that we do have limited time, but we do have incredible opportunity to reach more people and plant more churches. We're not looking to hold back right now, by the way. We're looking to expand. We're looking to keep on growing. We're not stopping. We're not letting the times dictate our purpose. We're letting our purpose dictate the times. Come on, we've been called by heaven, no matter what happens on the earth, to advance the kingdom of God. And the minute we let the circumstances and what's going on in the earth deter us, we mess up. We mess up. They're threatening my job, man. I don't know if I'm going to have a job. God will give you another one. He gave you this one, right? He'll give you another one. I don't know what's going to happen in the oil field. Okay. It's been that way for 50 years. 
God will give you another job. God will drop it off at your door if he needs to. We have incredible opportunities to keep on going. Incredible opportunities to reach people we would have not reached if it wasn't 2020. Think about this. This year alone, we've had the opportunities to reach more people as a church than we ever have before. We served people during the COVID shutdown. We served people during two hurricanes. We served people even in between. I was frustrated about midway through the year because we th this was the first year in Eunice I'd ever had the whole year mapped out. I kid you not. It's like I've wanted this for 10 years. And Lisa and I and Cheryl, we finally got the whole calendar. We got this big old H. Brown calendar. It's like this big. And it was all filled out. Every outreach was filled out. Every baptism. I was like, yes. I want to take a picture and send it to other pastors and go, and God messed all that up. But you know what happened? We did more than we planned on doing. We gave away more resources than we planned on giving away. God flowed more money through us than he'd ever done in the past. After one of the hurricanes, one of the organizations around town gave us $8,500. Just wrote a check. Who you want the check written to? You or the church? I'm like, the church, the church. $8,500. Here, use it like you need to. Isn't that good? Paul says in Ephesians 5, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, be un but understand what the Lord wants you to do. There's opportunities all around us. How many of them are we passing up? You know when I pass up opportunities? When I'm looking down on myself and I'm focusing on my stuff, I miss opportunities. I miss opportunities when I'm fussing and complaining, boudin, walking around with my lip dragging, right? I'm missing opportunities. There's more opportunities around us. Listen to what Paul says. Make the most of every opportunity. Watch this. In these evil days. There's a great story about Winston Churchill he was in the middle of a war and he needed more resources and he was having a hard time finding the resources he need to overcome his enemy. And so he made this poster and he posted it all over England. And I want you to hear what the poster said. It said this, self-indulgence at this time is helping the enemy. I'm gonna say that one more time. Self-indulgence at this time is just helping the enemy. You see that? Like there's no room for Christians to be filled with self-indulgence right now. Amen. Come on. This is an opportunity to pour out. This is an opportunity to be a blessing. This is an opportunity to give the world around us hope. 
because we have limited time but incredible opportunity. And the third reason why is because it's just simply smart. <laughs> it don't need to be magical. It's just smart, right? It's just smart. Listen to what Jesus said. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures where? Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where's the best place to invest? Heaven. Where's the most secure place to invest? Heaven. It's not a volatile market. <laughs> Am I in the right, church? Is there anything wrong with being rich? Nope. Many of the heroes of faith in the Bible were rich. Abraham was rich. David was rich. Solomon was filthy rich. It's funny, though. Solomon, he never prayed for riches. He just prayed for wisdom, and God gave him riches also. Nothing wrong with being rich. But you know what's funny about these guys, these heroes in the faith, and them being rich? Is they never set out to become rich. They set out to fulfill the purposes of God, and along the way, God added riches to them. But you see, sometimes we flip the script and we get it backwards. I need to get rich so that I can be a blessing. Uh-uh. You flipped it. Flip it back over. Be a blessing and let God add the riches to you. Like their main focus wasn't to get rich. Their main focus was to accomplish the mission that God sent them to accomplish. And along the way, God added the riches to them. Do you see it? Let me show it to you this way in Luke chapter 12. Jesus said this. He told them a parable. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, <laughs> he's talking to himself. I will say to my soul, soul. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Stop right there for a second. I want you to check your heart real quick. Is that why you're working so hard? Is that why you're killing yourself to be rich and to make a certain amount of money so that you can relax and eat and enjoy life one day? Is that your goal? You need to answer that question in your heart. You need to answer that question yourself this morning. I'm not saying you are. I'm just asking you to ask yourself a question. Because this guy did this in order to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But watch this. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Come on, hang in here with me this morning. His goal was to become rich. And he became rich. In fact, he became so rich, he didn't have enough place to store all of his riches. He had a problem. His riches created a problem. Some of you say, I like to have that problem. <laughs> Let 
Jesus said in the story, he said to the man, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? If you go back to the verse, the first verse I'll share with you this morning, it talks about to command those who are rich in this present age to not trust their money, right? But to be, and then he says to command them to do good things. How do you get rich in God? By doing good things for other people. That's not how you get saved. It's not how you get eternity. It's not none of that. It's how you get rich in God. Amen? So let's talk about the how. How can I be rich toward God? Glad you're asking these questions. Number one, you need to act like a steward and not an owner. Eleven times in that one portion, this guy in the parable says the word I or my. My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. My. Your kids do that and you think it's funny until it starts to become a problem. Then you start to correct that in them, right? Because it's not good for them to say my, 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 my. When, you're, when your kid grabs a toy from another kid, you correct them and they go, mine. And he goes, it's not yours, it's theirs. No, it's mine. What's the problem? They believe it's theirs. <laughs> That's the problem. What's the problem with us? We believe that everything we have is ours. All right. You'll make me punch in the nose with a verse. Psalms 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in the world, in it, the world and all who live in it is the Lord's. Look at your name and say, you don't belong to you. I think the number one reason people have a problem when the church talks about money is because they believe it's my money. I want to remind you why we wrote this series, because thy kingdom is the, I mean, my kingdom is the greatest threat to thy kingdom. In order for thy kingdom to come, my kingdom has to die. You see in it? So it's not my children. <laughs> I've said that before. Lord, you better straighten your kids out. It's not my health, my house, my life, my soul, my education, my company. It's the Lord's. One of the healthiest things I can do is to remind myself that God owns it all, and I just get to be a steward of it. You see, I'm, not God, I'm God's money manager, so, so I ask God what he wants me to do with his stuff. You see, even the church has gotten it wrong. We say, well, you give 10% and you do what the heck you want with the 90. No! I learned that the hard way. You give 10%, in other words, I just take my hands off of it and give it back to God, and then the rest of it go, how do you want me to spend this? How do I represent you with the rest of this? You know, I got these bills. <laughs> Come on, y'all ain't praying right. I'm like, Lord, I'll give you everything you want, but I got these bills. <laughs> you see, what's cool about God is he puts us on the honor system. He gives it to you, and then he trusts you to do what you need to do with it. He trusts us to honor him with what he gives us. It's the honor system. 
How many of you get taxes taken out of your check before you get it? You know why? Because the government don't trust you. <laughs> Simply put, the government, they going to get theirs first. Come on, somebody. God's on the honor system. He, he lets us. You know why? Because he wants to see our heart. He wants to see your heart. He wants to see where your heart is. He wants to know that you're going to go on your own and say, Lord, this 90% or this leftover, it's yours. What do you want me to do with it? Because if he takes it from you, then he don't get to see your heart. But if he puts you on the honor system, he gets to see your heart. Is this helping? So the question isn't, how much money should I give? But how much of God's money should I keep for myself? Because you see, giving is, is about love, not about law. It's not about percentages, but it's about a person. It's about Jesus, who gave everything for us. Amen? Thank God he didn't give 10% for our salvation, and we had to earn the 90. Come on, somebody. But I get it. Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking, I worked hard for this. I tell that to my kids when they tear up something at the house. Right? You didn't work for that. I worked for that. <laughs> I ain't going to tell you what else I say. I got a verse for that too. Deuteronomy 8.18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirm his covenant. Dang. God ain't letting us off the hook today. Like his word already said. Like he even gives us the ability to earn wealth, which means this, I can't take credit for any of it. Did the, did the rich guy in the parable, did he create the kernel? Did he create the grain? Did he create the soil with the right balance of nutrients so that the plant would grow plentifully? Did he create the sun that would shine just, to, just at the right amount of time? Did he, did he command the rain to fall on his crops? Did he do any of that? No. Was that in his control? No. He can't take credit for it. Amen? So act like a steward and not an owner. The second point to how is to be a sower and not a stower. I know, it's not a proper English. Some of you just cringed when I said that. Be a sower, not a stower. Don't stow things away. God calls him a fool, not for being rich, but for being confused by the extra. He didn't know why he had it. He didn't know what the extra was for. He didn't know what to do with it. How many of you would like some extra? <laughs> Me too. But are you prepared to do the right thing with the extra? <laughs> Sometimes we work too hard at trying to store things up that are supposed to be planted. Can I say that one more time? Sometimes we work too hard at storing things up that are supposed to be planted. 
That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He said, for God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can also be generous. And when we take your, and when, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. He provides seed to the sower. If you don't use the seed that he gave you last time, what makes you think he's going to give you more seed? Come on. I never forget, I, I, years and years ago, I, I had a 20. It was either a 20. I think it was a $20 bill. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to sow it into somebody. So I'm walking around with this $20 bill, and it was a test because I kept saying, Lord, who do you want me to give it to? And I'd run into people and be like, and somebody would come with a sad story like, man, you know, things have been tight. And I'm like, mm-mm. And he taught me how to walk with that seed until the right time to plant it. And it was the least, the, the person I least expected him to tell me to give it to, I gave it to. I was trying to teach myself a lesson that everything I have is his if I'll steward it and do what he wants me to do with it, he'll give me more to steward. The goal is not to get more to steward. The goal is to be a greater blessing. Do you see it? So I'm not after more for my name's sake. I'm after more so that I can be more, so that I can bless more. Come on, somebody. We're rich towards God when we're rich towards those he loves. You know, you'll miss money that you waste, that you spend, that you poorly invest, and the money that you loan to your brother-in-law. <laughs> but you'll never miss the money or the riches that you invest in heaven. You'll never miss the blessing you bless in somebody else's life. So number three, final one. Put God first. So how do we become rich toward God? We act like a steward, not an owner. We become a sower and not a stower. And we put God first. Hosea 13, 5 to 6 says this, It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when you had grazed, they became full. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their hearts were lifted up. Therefore, they forgot about me. Isn't that true? Isn't that how we started this message? Why is it that when things are going well for us, we tend to forget about God? When things are going well for you, that's when you're supposed to be investing into other people. Matthew 6.33 should be your life, one of your life verses. This is one of the foundational verses that every Christian needs to build their life on. 
it says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things you're worried about, stressed about, losing sleep about, fighting with your spouse about, you're grouchy about, you're boudin about, you're upset about, you have no joy about. All those things will be given to you as well. You can tell a lot about somebody when they walk through difficult times. You can tell a lot about somebody when they lose a loved one. You can tell a lot about somebody when they're going through a financial hard time. You can, you can find out if somebody's prideful. <laughs> They'll try to cover it up, right? Come on, some of you might be here this morning. Like, you're like, no, we're good, we're good. We got everything, we're good, we got it, got it. <laughs> you're like, sometimes I want to go, idiot. God told me to bless you and you stopping it. <laughs> he knows you needs, stop it. Anyway. Then there's other times where we just freak out and the whole world falls apart. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, it's a trust issue. Wouldn't you say? It's a trust issue. Question, do you trust God? Do you trust him enough to put him first? Do you trust him enough to put him before you? Because you see, Christianity is not a belief system. It's a priority system. Because all of our lives are centered around something. And whatever takes first place in your life usually influences you the most. Can I say that one more time? Whatever is in first place in your life influences you the most. If it's your job, then your job influences you more than anything else. If it's money, then money influences you more than anything. What does that mean, influences me? It determines how you live. John Bonnell made this statement, and I'm going to end with this. If one first gives himself to the Lord, all other giving is easy. If one first gives himself to the Lord, all other giving is easy. You see that this morning? Come on, Steve. God wants you to be blessed. He's waiting to pour it out on you. He's waiting to increase you. He's waiting to give you more so that you can be more of a blessing to other people. So that when they receive that gift, when they receive that blessing, they look to God. You see how it works? We're already connected. My name's already written in the book. It's not about me. This planet is just a place I'm passing through. My, my eternal home is in eternity. It's in heaven. Come on. God wants to pour it into these vessels of his and get it through us to the lost world around us so they'll start to recognize 
how much God loves them. Because you know what generosity does? Generosity meets a person right where they are. In the middle of their failure. In the middle of their mess. In the middle of a crisis. Generosity finds people right where they are. Think about it. If you find somebody in the middle of their mess and God calls you to be generous to them and you obey and you're generous to them, you know what happens? You just declare to them that God loves you despite your mess. And it will radically transform their lives. You know what else it says? It says that God is a generous God. He's not this mean, hateful, judgmental God who's got a lightning bolt in his hand and he's ready to throw it at somebody. It says he's a generous God. It says that he loves me even with all my stuff. That's what generosity does. It opens doors. It breaks through hard ground. So I'll never ask you to give to this church but I will unashamedly ask you to give through this church why? because I believe in what we do I believe we're a generous church when you tithe and give offerings that goes into a, a central account that all the campuses get to give out of that the, the campuses tithe somewhere around 14% of what you give. Why did we start doing that? We don't have to do that. Why did we start doing that? Because we want to be the example for you. We want to reach the lost. We want to reach these little rural communities that nobody else is willing to go to. We want to help those that are hurting and be there for those that are struggling. I believe in what we do. I'm grateful that I belong to a generous church. I'm grateful for you folks in Eunice. I love to see generosity work. And I want for all of us to be rich. Amen? So let's pray this morning. God, I come to you today thankful for your word. God, I believe we want to be rich. Rich in good deeds. Rich in generosity. God, I believe we're, we're willing to share. I believe some of us have believed lies that I don't have anything to share. I don't have anything to give. All you ever ask us to do, God, is to take what is in our hands and open our hands up and give it and offer it back to you and be willing to use it however you say to use it and then you'll multiply it. Because a seed in our pocket never produces a harvest. But a seed planted into fertile soil produces a harvest that multiplies. God, help us to understand that just like one grain of rice goes into the ground and produces a stalk and then multiple, multiple, multiple rice come off of that. 
Help us to see that in the kingdom. Help us to understand that principle when we look at what we have or maybe don't have in our hands. And God, help us to radically take what we have, offer it to you, and watch you multiply it. Just like you did with the bread and the fish. You're the multiplier. You're the God who multiplies. God, help us to understand that heaven is home and earth is just a hotel we're staying in until we get home. Help us to see that. Help us to understand that. And God, help us to live that way. Move in our hearts. We thank you for your generosity, God. You gave us the greatest example. You gave us your son. And because of that, every one of us has a home, an eternal home. And we bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thank you.